1: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime.
2: LGBT. Thriller.
1: You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts. Eric Shapiro David North Martino John Copenhaver and Al Warren Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles 102.3 FM Riverside and
2: one hundred
1: five oh AM Palm Springs
0: Well, welcome back to the House of Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. I'm your host, Al Warren, and on the side is Kev Thompson. Hey, Al. How's it going? Well, that's another day. We're, we've got a returning guest and uh, his new book, Dahmer's Confessions. And it's... No. Uh,
3: what? This is exciting. This is exciting. And uh, the- Okay.
0: Well, let's just get right into it. So uh, this time uh, we're joined by... John Borowski, filmmaker, author, uh, extraordinaire. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show.
2: Thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure and uh, great uh, talking with you guys. You know, it's uh, interesting. I'll I'll kind of open this with uh, interesting. Here's what happens to me. This is my life, not daily, but here's what happened today. I open my Facebook and I get a messenger uh, message from uh, a woman that has in her position, John Wayne Gacy's art kit, everything he used to paint his paintings, uh, that, that paints, brushes, easel, all these things, you know, and, and of course she she was inquiring on, you know, who, what she should do with these things, museums, sell them, who's interested. So, you know, that's kind of an example of, you know, the interesting things that happened to me, uh, you know, studying these serial killers and making films and releasing <laughs> books on them.
3: That's great. Now, 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 one has to ask, out of fairness, how is she sure that these were John Gacy's? I mean, how did she buy them? Did she buy them off of, you know, eBay or from that, somebody?
2: That's the other thing. Yeah, that, you know, there has to be this provenance, you know, that you have to find out, you know, the proof where she, you know, acquired this. Because, you know, I heard that after my film Serial Killer Culture came out, and in the film was Rick Staten, who was John Wayne Gacy's art dealer, Um, I was told by Hyena Gallery in California that the owner, Bill Schaefer, had not seen so many fake Gacy's until my film came out, because, you know, it it raises this awareness. So you're right. I mean, somebody could have seen the, I I don't know if there are more than one art kits, but I've seen, you know, one on display, not myself, but I've seen photos of it on display at the True Crime Museum when it existed, which now it's, I, I believe, the Alca, Alcatraz Museum. It, it's in another state. It was initially in Washington, and they had these mm-hmm. Pogo outfits and Bundy's, um, you know, Volkswagen on display there. So you're right. Somebody could see these things, you know, kind of, uh, you know, create a mock art kit, you know, So, so, you know, again, I'm still researching it. It just fell into my lap this morning, but... You know, it's, it's still, yeah, it's, you know, these things are always fascinating, but you're right. I mean, you know, people always oh, make it fun. It, it is.
3: I would love to think that I own something like that. And which art kit? Because unless I'm mistaken, John Wayne Gacy also developed an art kit while he was in prison.
2: Exactly.
3: And, exactly. you know, is, right. is, is that know not where, going. that's not where this big, you know, this big blow-up occurred that should an inmate who committed heinous crimes make a profit while they're actually serving time
2: because right. he was he thought, was he not selling paintings oh of course of yeah. course he was rich staten was his art dealer he would go in and pick the paintings up for gacy and deposit the money in the gacy's account i mean you know what he could buy soda and uh you know candy bars with it that's about it but you know, it was—it's pretty fascinating. And you now that this Mindhunter show is on, it's also interesting that we're seeing kind of the early inceptions of this behavioral science and forensic psychology, as well as some of these—you know—stories of the most well-known serial killers, especially you know from the '60s and '70s through the '90s. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, even OJ was doing all those signatures on things from prison to get money, even though it shouldn't—he shouldn't, he shouldn't oh. be doing, right?
2: Yeah, of course. Of course, you know, and that's, it's, you know, again, you know, that whole, you know, I thought, I call it, you know, a true crime artifact collecting, but it's also called <laughs> gilia, which is the dirty name for it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, people will buy this stuff. They're, you know, collectors, they're fans, and and it's definitely uh, a collecting industry, and people are fascinated by it. And that's why, you know, I created the movie and the TV show, Serial Killer Culture, <laughs> and the, and Serial Killer Culture TV. You know, uh, some of uh, you know the upcoming episodes are going to be the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast. Um,
1: you know, again, <laughs> <Yes. and, laughs> yeah,
2: it, it encompasses uh, you know such a wide, you know, uh, you know it's such a broad topic. It's everything from collectors to artists to museums uh, to law enforcement to authors, forensic psychologists, and it's fascinating. You know, and I think it's. You know, uh, that's why I created the TV show, to create an ongoing, more contemporary look at, you know, what what's kind of going on within this serial killer culture.
3: Yeah. You know, and, and, and why not? Marilyn Manson has collected marriage proposals, is he not?
2: <laughs> that's what I'm saying. People collect obituaries. You know, when I, filmed at the, uh, when I filmed at the Ripley's, believe it or not, headquarters in Orlando, you know, we were going through their archives. It was just amazing. But you know, he, you know, uh, you know the the vice president. You know, pointed to several boxes, and he's like, "See these three boxes? These are all obituaries." Some collector sent us. You know, he collected obituaries his entire life. People collect different things. <laughs> whatever credentials it is.
0: Well, I can't wait. I want to go to the Lizzie Board and B and B and order the room with two oh. right. <laughs> there, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, exactly. I know. I know. And you know, that's the other thing. You know, we look back at history and. And, you know, you, I think, you know, you you make light of these things because, again, you know, I always say you laugh or you cry. I and, mean, you know, yes, they are horrific, but, you know, I see them as historical. I would love if H.H. H. Holmes' building was still here and they had tours. I mean, I, the city will oh, pop it off of that immensely. That
3: yeah. would be awesome because I am personally here recently since our interviews I and the documentary that came out, I am actually – and this is, I'm ashamed to say, I'm a fan of H.H. H. Holmes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. You know, when I meet other people interested in serial killers, who's your favorite? You know? And, well, that's how we speak. You know, we talk about that. You know, yeah, mine is H.H. H. Holmes. And, you know, I'm interested in Gein and, and Fish, you know. and yes. And, uh, you know, it's. It is. It's really interesting. I mean, everything about these cases are fascinating and interesting, and it just gets more you talk about it because when I travel sometimes, I'm apprehensive to talk to people and tell them what I do because they ask, and then I'm like, okay, I make, you know, documentaries on serial killers and books, and, you know, they're a little turned off, but then I guarantee you an hour later, I've got to get away and stop the conversation. Well, no, tell me more about him. Oh, Albert Fish was doing what? No, he cooked in an oven, and what? He wrote a letter, what? Yeah, you know those sure. early cases i think are the most fascinating mm-hmm. and that's why i focus on
0: them well an american yeah, be... horror story did a fascinating job with hotel right they... yes
2: yeah. they did
3: yes they did yeah yeah,
2: yeah. No. you know it was really interesting i love the the When the one episode, when they show the black and white somewhat reenactments, you know, like the Holmes style, the tribute to Holmes, I found it interesting that Kathy Bates actually spoke uh, one of the lines that Harold Schechter said in my film. You know, she said it exactly, that he had lined the rooms with asbestos to make them soundproof. And I'm like, okay, they watched my (laughs) back.
3: That was their hat tip. It was a hat
2: tip. Yeah, Yeah, exactly right. A little tip of the bowler. Well, that, yes. now
3: your your
0: documentaries on Netflix now, is it?
2: Well, Holmes is on Netflix now, and all my other films, including my short films, are all on Amazon. Netflix usually renews, you know, yearly, and sometimes they don't renew, or then they will renew. They'll pick it up again. So that's just how Netflix works. But Amazon Prime is, you know, has been amazing because mm-hmm. you know it they opened it up for independent filmmakers to deal with Amazon directly without a distributor, where you can have your film closed captioned, upload it to Amazon and pretty much have it on Amazon prime in US, UK, Germany, and Japan. So it's really been a great thing for indie
0: filming. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing. And actually, and for the other countries like, uh, you know, uh, Canada and actually most of Europe, you know, that popcorn TV. Um, yes, they, carry it, yeah, they carry it all as well. And, uh, that's pretty amazing. Hey, the whole Netflix thing and the whole Amazon and the way it's all gone, you know?
2: Yeah, it's, it's really great for indies and, you know, the same thing for book publishing. You know, I self-publish all of my books on Amazon and, uh, you know, and, and that's, you know, I've been doing that for the last four books and, you know, I'm going to continue on that route. And that's when, you know, I had, uh, you know, I had Dahmer's Confession for a while and I figured, well, you know, what more of a better time period to release them when, you know, this new film is coming out, my friend Dahmer focusing on the Don Rose High School.
0: Yeah, well, so so tell us about that now. So, uh, how long have you had that, and where where did it come from?
2: Oh man, I've had it for a long time. Um, I don't even remember where it came from. I mean, the the answer really should be a magician never reveals a secret. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I asked Joe Coleman where he gets all his stuff, that was his answer. So that's kind of my answer. <laughs> but I have had it for a long time, and you know, I've always been fascinated by his case because. My story is its somewhat personal, um, in a sense, because in high school, I was interested in doing special makeup effects, and that's what I was doing, and that's what I wanted my career to be, But then I decided to go into filmmaking. And uh, my best friend and I, we would both do uh, these special makeup effects, you know, after school and when we'd hang out. So then, once I graduated from high school, that's when Dahmer was arrested in 91, and uh, My best friend called me on the phone. He's like, you got to come over here. He was, like, shocked. So I went over to his house, and his father was a detective in Chicago at the time that Dahmer was arrested. So, you know, I I went to my friend's house, and he had this file, and he said, well, first I thought my dad, I went in his office, and I thought he had my mail. I thought it was a mask catalog for, like, corpse heads and things. Well, he's looking through it, and in this file are all the photocopies that Dahmer took of his victim's heads in the sink and in the fridge and Dahmer's confession, not complete, but there was a, you know, there was a lot of it in there as well. And that, I mean, it blew me away. It horrified me. It fascinated me. I still to this day can't get those images out of my head. I mean, they were heads in the sink with their eyes open their mouths open and terror and frozen. And sometimes their hands would be, you know, next to the head that he had um, cut off and, you know, just, just like terrifying. So finally when I went into college at Columbia College here in Chicago and started making films, one of my ones was called State of Mind and that was about Dahmer. It was like, uh, interrogation, uh, with a detective in Dahmer and there would be flashbacks. It was in black and white and the flashbacks would be in color, you know, to show the horror of kind of you know, the, the gore of what actually happened. I mean, they were like my usual style. They weren't, you know, explicitly gory, but there would be things like, you know, what like going down and pouring things down the toilet or, you know, getting rid of, you know, some of the remains. And um, so i always been fascinated by his case, and I always wanted to do, like, you know, even a feature film, maybe just in his, taking place just in his apartment, like recreating his actual apartment, so that's how, you know, this all came about, you know, and, um, so that was my kind of personal connection to him. And then, um, not too long ago, I had visited Milwaukee and found out that, uh, Shakers, the cigar bar was the hub of actually all these tours, ghost tours, because the building's haunted. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, it's the a Dahmer tour. At the time they called it the Dahmer tour. Now it's called the Creed City Cannibal Tour. And, uh, you know, I took that and I thought, well, I could, you know, I could feature them in serial killer culture, the film, which I did. And they've been on numerous television shows and other programs. Um, so, it, you know, and that's kind of how all that came about. And we're having a book signing there at Shaker's Cigar Bomber in Milwaukee on November 4th from 4 to 6 at 422 South 2nd Street. And it's a beautiful building. It's from, uh, I believe, 1893, 1894. Um, the Capone brothers had owned the building at one point. Uh, there's a ghost of a prostitute that was murdered there in the building, and I did stay overnight there one night. You know, and I was pretty freaked out, but I didn't see anything. But it was it's, it's a beautiful building, and I'm planning to shoot a feature film there. Uh, hopefully next year, I'm writing a script for it now. And Bob Weiss is amazing. He's the owner, and he knows everything. And you know, sometimes we'll have Professor Pinkerton, who has this full band that plays great, you know, swing music and twenties and thirties style music, and kind of like going back in time in a sense when you go there. So it's going to be interesting to have this, uh, you know, Milwaukee book signing there. Yeah. So, cool. So
3: how do you? And,
2: so how
3: do you find? How do you find these locations?
2: You know, they, sometimes they fall in my lap, like the Gacy art Kit this morning. Sometimes I seek them out. I'll search the internet. You know, we all know kind of the same people. You know, I kind of say I'm I'm, I'm by because I'm 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 by horror and I'm by true crime. I fit into both. You know, I know people from the horror crowd. So I go to horror conventions, and of course, you know these things overlap. I mean, these are horrific stories. So you know, uh, and I know people from the true crime arena, and many times. You know, both of these, you know, people are interested in, in horror and true crime or one or the other. Um, so that's how these things, you know, usually come about. And, you know, for the book, I thought it would be interesting. Okay, you know, it's one thing to release the police statements and down confession. But I wanted to, you know, expand it a little bit and have a little bit of a modern contemporary perspective on it. So uh, forensic psychologist Steve Jangelo, he uh, does a forensic Psycho- psychological profile of Dahmer, which I agree with, that, you know, Dahmer was traumatized at 18 when his entire family left him alone. So psychologically, it kind of makes sense when you flash forward to when he's trying to collect these people and have them around him, you know, unless this kind of surrogate family, which is morbid, but I believe it's true. You know, mm-hmm. and then um, Bob Weiss, uh, who, you know, uh, runs the Dahmer tours, he remembers Dahmer would come into Shakers. And then after Dahmer was apprehended, you know, he writes in the book about how Shakers was the hub for the investigators. They would all congregate at Shakers Cigar Bar and talk about the case. And that's when Bob said, oh, wow, this is the guy that used to be in here. And if you go to Shakers Cigar Bar, Bob had the chair that he used to sit in when he'd come there because it was shorter than the others. So he'll say, I'll be like, that's the Dahmer, the, the chair that Dahmer in. <laughs> So, you know, and there's a ton of history.
3: So I wonder how much that would catch on eBay right now.
2: Yeah, I know that's (laughs) what I'm saying. You know, all this stuff. Ed Gein's Cauldron sold recently, you know, and uh, I don't believe it was his, but, you know, you never know. Again, there's that problem thing, but um, people buy this stuff. And, you know, another facet of the book, I wanted to also bring in the serial killer culture aspect to the book. So I have an art gallery, and when I was putting the book together, when I was compiling it, I reached out to artists and threw up uh, something on Facebook just saying, hey, if you have any Dharma art, I'd like to talk about including in the book. There were some artists that had existing Dom art that said, you know, you know, I'd love to have it be a part of the book. And then there were some artists that actually created art specifically for the book, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, that shows you that, you know, Artists are doing work or have done work on Dahmer because it plays into the serial killer culture fascination. And that's why I wanted to have that in the book. And there are some letters too that Dahmer wrote to several different women who I don't know who were, Barbara and Mary. And then, uh, Rick Staten also had, uh, an interesting letter that he let me publish in a book from Dahmer, from the estate of Jeffrey Dahmer because Rick Staten was interested in possibly purchasing some of this, you know, these, uh, you know, vintage, you know, true crime artifacts. And the estate said, no, we've had the auction, you know, everybody, you know, paid in so we could just destroy everything. And because that's what they did with everything that's on Rome, they destroyed it because they didn't, they don't want it to end up in the hands of supposedly morbid collectors and things. Like that.
3: Now, now John, you know, tell me if I'm right. Dahmer is somewhat of an enigma. And I say that because back when I was in my early college days, my first first degree was actually in psychology. I thought that I was going to be a forensic psychologist. So I did all my studies, and I wrote my term papers on serial killers. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you've got to include Dahmer, because he was the killer of the time. And I was... Kind of loath to write about Dahmer because of what he did. Yet now, looking back on it, you know, he's a fascinating character. During your studies and, and during your writings, have you discovered people that either love Dahmer or hate Dahmer?
2: Yeah, both. You know, I mean, Hart Fisher, who published the Dahmer comics. You know, we'll tell you flat out that Dahmer was a scumbag, you know, and, and that's what he was. But then, you know, it's interesting, you have these females that there are several uh, Jeffrey Dahmer groups on Facebook, you know, that I recently joined, of course, to help promote the book. Every day I'm seeing these women saying, ah, oh, I am so hot for him. Look at him. I adore him. You know, I mean, and when we were doing the Dharma tour, we interviewed, you know, several women, and the one, you know, female said, hey, I have a friend that loves him. She just adores him. And, you know, there's this strange, you know, kind of psychology thing. And, you know, it was, whether it was looks or what he did or whether whether he wanted to, you know, completely own these men by, you know, ingesting, you know, cannibalizing parts of their body. You know, it's it's definitely a fascinating psychology study, but kind of like you're saying, he he is kind of an enigma because, you know, he, he fits into some, you know, the early categories, categorizations of serial killers such as, yes, he did torture animals. He wasn't a bedwetter. He wasn't a fire starter, but, you know, he had this fascination with the internal workings of the body. And he, you know, there's a story in the My Friend Dahmer book that there was a missing piglet from the biology class, the anatomy class that he may have stolen. Who knows, you know, um, but, um, you know, I, yes. but again, you know, I tried to figure him out for so long, but finally when I read, I believe it was Real Life Monsters by Steve Giangelo, he, you know, it really clicked with me that it, you know, it, it's, you know, we, we, you know, need a more contemporary perspective on these serial killers because yes, my Hunter tells the story of, you know, when they started, okay, three or more killings, you know, the triad, and when they started, tortured animals, but you know, you know, we learn over time you can't place that blanket and you have over, over them so widely and you have to take each case individually. And that's why the book Real Life Monsters I think is one of the best contemporary books on the subject because, uh, you know, what Steve talks about is that it's not always an abuse. Some were abused. Dahmer was an abuse, but his life with his parents and their divorce and, and being left alone at 18 years old to from for, for assault was trauma. It really affected him. So again, psychologically, to me it makes a lot of sense that he wanted to make the shrine of bones and collect these people to always be around him. Dennis Nelson was a serial killer in the UK that they could have been lovers. They had the both, they both had the same interests. You know, he did the same type of things. He would keep the men's bodies under the floorboards. He lived on the first floor and keep them in the dirt and pull them out every night and bathe them and bore them. You know, they they wanted this complete control over their victim's bodies.
3: You know they could do whatever they want. Co- correct, and, and you know I even to this day. You know I, I go back and I, and I I look at my papers that I wrote, and I even wrote a term paper from a serial killer's perspective. And what I had done, just so that you understand what I what I did, is I made a composite serial killer of some of my favorites of the time. And of course, you know, that included Zodiac, and then I included Henry Lee Lucas, who admitted to much more than he actually did. You know, we had Otis Toole. You know, we had the people of the time. Mm -hmm. And I composed all of those into one and wrote it from his viewpoint. But when it came to Dahmer, because he was the man of the time, you know, for lack of better terms... What is it about what he did that was just so distasteful that people such as I would be loath to include him?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, again, sometimes I think, you know, this uh, separation throughout history, like now we could look back at H. H. Holmes' story you know, from the 1880s, 1890s. It happened so long ago, where we kind of disassociate ourselves with it. I mean, he killed men, women, and children all for money, basically. They were all price tags to him. I mean, it was pretty awful what he did, you know. But now it's kind of like this cute, antique Victorian story, because it was so long ago. So I think because Dahmer's story is still, you know, somewhat relatively recent in, in our time period. It wasn't yesterday, but, you know, it's... You know, within you know, many people will remember it. Living, you know, now, um, I, you know, and again, I think it, you know, just like it's any serial killer, you know, they mm-hmm. they hunt their prey, and but the fact I think again, I'm interested in these extreme psychological cases, and Dahmer is one of those. The fact that he wanted to create zombies, that he wanted to own these men, that he would drill into their head, and you know, I mean, more you know, acid look at in there. Well, that too. Yeah. You know, but you look at the other side of the coin, you know, and some people feel sorry for Dahmer because they say, you know, he was he was a lonely guy, you know, and and especially being gay at that time period.
1: Ready to pop the question? to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Had to get 30 30, to get 30, be to get 20 20, 20 to get 20 20, to get 15 15, 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. Sold. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promot rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: You know, it was still, you know, taboo. You know, it was becoming more of a, into the public eye, of course, but at that, you know, still on that cusp. So, you know, him and then Gacy before him, you know, they, they may have had this repressed homosexuality. We're not sure about that. But, um, you know, some people feel sorry for Dahmer because. You know, he, you know, again, he, he, they see him just as a lonely person. And what's interesting, one of these guys that he killed stayed with him for two weeks. So that shows you that. It's like, okay, he didn't, wasn't, you know, a traditional, uh, pound serial killer where he didn't get them into their apartment, his apartment and immediately within 10, 15 minutes just killed them. You know, he was lonely. Yeah, but the, the one time that the guy stayed with him for two weeks, the minute he said, you know what, I gotta keep going, I've been here for a while, I gotta get back home, so I was like, well, you know what, let me make you a coffee drink. And that's what he would do. He would make coffee, put sleeping pills in it, knock yes. them out, and then he would strangle them and supposedly then do things to them. He said they never felt it, but the pictures that I saw, again, of these heads, uh, I don't know, I think mean, They were, you know, unless you post them later, I don't know if you could do that post-mortem, but, I mean, they were eyes open and mouths open in my terror.
3: Yeah. You know, I've got to be getting home now. It's getting a little bit late. Well, let me make you some Jesus juice.
2: Um. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much.
3: Yeah. Now, 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 I I say this at, at much risk to myself, especially as a law enforcement officer, but I've often, you know, kind of sympathized with certain serial killers, having studied their psychology, mm-hmm. and I have a very, very difficult time sympathizing with Jeffrey Dahmer because, you know, he victimized the homosexual community, right. and. Just the way that he treated his victims, you know, like you said, he was attempting to create sex slaves or zombies or, you know, for lack of better terms, he was trying to create dolls. You know, he would drill into their heads, pour acid into their skulls in an attempt to zombify them.
2: Right, and sometimes
3: when they were alive, yeah. Well, they were all pretty much alive.
2: Yeah, yeah, knocked out, kind of, you know.
3: The, the only part that I do understand is the fact that he cannibalized his victims in an effort to maintain a part of them within himself, because is that not the point of cannibalism throughout history?
2: Correct. You know, Albert Fish did it. You know, there were many serial killers, Chicatilo. you know, and I, I think that is, you know, they want you, and that's how can you com- more completely own somebody than you know, having a part of them, you know, be a part of your body forever. And, of course, Fish was different. He had this religious dementia and believed it was the flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ and sacrament. You know, his story was different, but I think Dahmer was just kind of fascinated. You know, he did say he tasted part of a up seven things, every single victim. You know, I think he was a little curious about it, you know, kind of like Ed Dean was, you know, again, you don't hear them saying, oh, man, I just had a smorgasbord, you know, or a buffet. It wasn't like that, you know. It was, you know, it it was, okay, I'm going to try this, you know, why not? And, you know, I mean, what could I say? I had a deep heart last night in the Peruvian restaurant. It wasn't a deep heart. It's like, you know, I could say, okay, I mean, I kind of know with it. It takes, like, you know, because I, I wanted to try it, you know. I'm not going to go as far as human needs, but, you know. Um, but, again, you know, yes. I mean, you know, and, again, I think it, that's why I love this show Mindhunter that's on now because it does show the dichotomy, you know. The one uh, FBI officer is fascinated and wants to know everything and wants their autograph and, you know, is, is wants to study them. And the other guys just like, oh, these guys are scumbags. They're no good. They just need to be, you know – you know, we shouldn't even talk to them. I don't want to look at them. And, of course, I'm, I'm sure in law enforcement, you know, you see that a lot. And it disgusts, you know, I mean, it disgusts me a lot when I read about these stories. But I have to, you know, take a different perspective because I'm like the other guy in the show. I'm trying to study them and trying to out why they did what they did, you know, rather than and I'm trying to, you know. But, you know, and whenever I see some of these, you know, actual, you know, photographs of the crime scenes or whatever, it's just, it's appalling. problem. It's awful. Yeah
0: yeah well no these confessions there was a total of what 60 hours or something
2: yeah oh yeah there's at least uh, several hundred pages 200 something pages
1: wow yeah and,
2: and you know and that's the thing that's why I, you know in the end i did respect that about Domer, just like dennis Nelson. you know in the uk when dennis Nelson uh you know first he was you know killing men like I said, in his first floor apartment, that he would burn the remains in his backyard. But then he moved somewhere where he was living on the second floor. So then he would, like Domber, he would, you know, dismember them, boil parts, you know, and then flush, parts of their flesh down the toilet, just like Domber did. But I guess the UK had, you know, didn't have as good of a sewer system, (laughs) and it backed up, you know. So it backed up. Somebody complained. They went down there and found pieces of bones and stuff. So then they realized, okay, you know, they, the police force came and right when Dennis Nelson came home, they were waiting for him by his door. He knew, you know, sometimes these serial, many of these serial killers, they can't, um, you know, they can't turn themselves in, but they want to get caught. So sometimes it's almost like they're waiting to be caught because they're waiting for somebody to intercede these awful things that they're doing. And that happened with Dennis Nelson. So he knew he came home. There's the police. He, you know, first thing he said, there's another body in the closet. First thing he said. And just like Dahmer, right after he was apprehended, gets in the police car, is interrogated, tells the whole story, you know, verbatim. All the victims, here's what happened, here's what I did, and that's that, you know. And um, that's what Dahmer did. So, and, you know, I, I have to give him credit for being straightforward at that, at least, because, you know, of course, Gacy, we all know that, you know, to his, uh, you know, uh, defender, you know, he, you know, confessed everything but then to die days, it didn't do it which is ridiculous because how can you live even with that small you know 20 something bodies you know, yeah crossfit?
0: yeah yeah well how did now when you were going through the confessions um was there something that really surprised you in there
2: no, you know, I mean, I, I, thought it was interesting that he did mention a lot of locales, you know, in Chicago, there was a gay bar called Carol's, uh, you know, he, you know, he would hunt in Chicago as well. He'd go to the L&L Tavern, where strangely enough, Gacy had always had, had went to, you know, kind of like that whole Lakeview, Lincoln Park, Boys Town area. There used to be a, a arcade on Broadway near university that, that Gacy would go to and hunt for his victims. And Dahmer would go to Old Town. Uh, there was a movie theater called the Bijou, and he mentioned these in his statements, you know, and said, when I go to Chicago, I go to Carols, and I picked so-and-so up, and I took him back, he came back to Milwaukee with me, you know, or he would state, you know, the specifics, places in Milwaukee where he picked up his victims, um, you know, so, you know, I hadn't, I was familiar with this case, you know, over the, over the last, you know, several decades, but, you know, reading there's nothing like reading it from, you know, his own mouth giving the statement, but it's really, uh you know, he does, doesn't hold anything back. You know, he talks about how he cut them up and what he did with them and why he kept them. And, you know, so I had known so much about his case already that, yes, there are, you know, little things that I don't want to give away that, you know, you can yeah. deliver it throughout the statement. But, but there's nothing like hearing you know, reading these actual documents. And that's why I published them for researchers, you know, because then you'd have everything in one source. It's one book, everything is right there together, you know, and it's an excellent, you know, research material for any, you know, student or, you know, anyone involved in psychology or law enforcement.
0: So I wonder what would have happened if the two of them would have met.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know what? There was a book called Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright uh, that was released, I believe, in the 80s or 90s. I think, well, it was 90s. They had it been after Donna because that was the influence. And she does this fictional story of a serial killer from the U.K. coming to America, and and he meets another, you know, American serial killer, and they kind of have this relationship, and the ending's interesting, you know, and, and, uh so yeah, that's another interesting book. It was kind of like, yeah, what would have happened if they would have met, you know, who knows? That's what I mean. Maybe they wouldn't have you know, maybe they would have you know, they both had done the same type of things, you know. Um Dennis Nelson would kind of paint himself white and you know, look at his body in the mirror like it was a dead body and masturbate to that, you know, because he was always you know, and, and Dennis Nelson too, you know, he had some trauma when he was a little boy. His grandmother died, who he loved a lot. was his grandmother or grandfather had passed away. And, you know, when he went to the funeral, you know, he was so shocked to see their dead body. And what did his parents tell them? They're in a better place. So he associated being dead with a better thing. So he was fascinated from that point forward of, of, you know, being around, wanting to be around dead bodies and, and, you know, just having them around him. So, again, it's, it's, you know, again, it might not always be an abuse. It could be a trauma or, you know, and, and that's what, I, again, I love about the show Mindhunter. I don't believe in the bad theory. I believe, you know, children, you know, are born fine. And, and to me, through my studies of serial killers, I believe it's their environments that play the biggest factor, especially between 7 and 12 years old, that, you know, when these things happen to them, no matter what it is, an interest, a fascination, a trauma, it sticks with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now I I noticed you were on a couple episodes of the History Channel um, on H h Holmes being Jack the Ripper.
2: Um, yeah, American Ripper.
0: Yeah. Now, what's your? Do you want to talk about that or your feelings towards it? Sure. Toward sure. That?
2: You know, it, it was you know it was a great opportunity. Um, you know when they, when uh, the producers had contacted me and wanted me to be on the show. I knew what it was going to be about, and I told them, look, I said, I'll go on your show, but I will not talk about H.H. Holmes being Jack the Ripper because I don't believe it is. It's almost, you know, impossible, I'm 99% sure, and uh, I I just don't believe in the theory. You know, there's a new theory on who Jack the Ripper was maybe every hour, every day, (laughs) every week is a theory. In the end, we'll never know. That's the truth. We'll never know. It's this, this not going to happen. So, you know, these. what I do like about these shows is that they do teach some history about the true history of Jack the Ripper and H.H. Holmes. But then, you know, it's that kind of middle area that, you know, to me, it's just, uh, I don't know, it, it's almost comical in a sense, which is sad. But it's just, you know, it's like, you know, um, you know I give them credit, but, you know, I think they tried to take an hour or two story and stretch it into eight episodes. And, and again, that's fine for them. People enjoyed it,
0: but you know, um, I, I felt it was a stretch. Yeah, no, I, I, me too. I, 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 I kind of thought it was too much, and it's all based on um, just, just kind of thought. There's no, there's no evidence. There's nothing new. No, that, that... no.
2: I mean, you know, when when they show a photo of a sketch of what somebody in the 1800s, you know, London thought Jack the Ripper may have looked like which is basically like what every male at that time, period, looked like. Handled yeah. our mustache. I mean, you know, <laughs> pretty much every man. And then they take that and superimpose it over Holmes's face, and they look at each other in shock like they just discovered a miracle. It's like, well, really? No. <laughs>
1: it's
2: not, that's not evidence. That's not evidence. And then there was another part where they had uh, taken a camera and went into the Chicago River because they had thought that Holmes may have dumped a uh, trunk with a victim down there, and they said, well, if there's holes in the Chicago River, he may have dumped the, <laughs> you know, crate in the river. So then they go down there, and, well, there's holes in the river. Well, yeah. hundreds <laughs> of holes, And then once again, the shock looks, oh, my God, oh, my God. But, like, those are holes. That's yeah. not evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. want evidence. That's yeah. just me, you know.
0: Yeah, that that's, a, you know, because I, I couldn't watch the last two episodes. I think it was just, you know, I'm – just can't do this anymore because it's an hour long of, ooh, ah, but nothing,
2: you know? Yeah, and, you know, I'm not really, I'm not superstitious. I'd like to see a ghost. I never have. I believe in them, but I've never seen them. But, you know, they always talked about this Holmes curse, you know, and I don't believe in it. But, (laughs) you know, many people supposedly did die. Well, they died, of course. People are going to die. But they said that we're involved with the original Holmes case. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, if this thing does exist and you're digging him up when he wanted to purposely have 10 feet of concrete on top of his body so nobody would dig him up and you're doing it, eh, I don't think he's going to be too happy about it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you're just asking for the curse.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and it was him in there. There was no doubt. But that, too, was sensationalism. You know, oh, he kind of escaped the gallows. No, I mean, all the reporters were there. Do you know how extremely, it's impossible for somebody to do that, especially at that time period. You know, they said he had shaved his, you know, he had grown a beard, but he had shaved it to to have his, you know, handlebar mustache, and that's what he walked to the gallows with, and, and that was it. It was done, and they matched his skull to photos of... You know, with the skull that they had taken at the time period when you know he had you know been executed, and they matched, so it was him.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's grasping yeah. at straws. We, we we get a lot of yeah. back the Ripper shows, and that a one, lot. Yeah, and that one was just yeah. Come on, it was just. I mean, give yeah. us some evidence, something.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly. That. It's got to be evidence. You know, they all try and hinge on this. Well, there was that one mm-hmm. year that, you know, nobody knows where Holmes was, but it's like, well, he's not going to, especially at that time period, he's going to document every single step he takes? No, of course not. You know, and for him to go all the way to the UK, it's not his MO to, you know, hack up, you know, sloppily hack up these prostitutes, which is against his MO. He wouldn't do that. He's not sloppy. He covered everything up so well. They didn't even know that he was killing people until, you know, it came out and they found the bodies of the children. No wouldn't do.
0: Now, wasn't it true that he also, when he killed people in his castle, didn't he like to hear them them suffer?
2: Well, you know, we don't know that because there were no eyewitnesses. You know, I think, you know, that may have started with Schechter's book um, because he had mentioned, you know, with his knowledge of serial killers, sure, maybe he did enjoy watching them, you know, being murdered. But over time, I don't know because... I think Holmes just I think that was all the dirty work he, he didn't want to get his hands dirty. You looked at the methods of the way he murdered people. It was really hands off fire, gas. You know, it wasn't like stabbing her with a gun, which is a more communicative way of murdering. You know, it's very hands off. So he was above everybody, of course. That's what he thought he was. So he didn't want to get his hands dirty. So, you know, I thought, yeah, maybe, you know, he would have looked in and listened to him. Maybe he did that sometimes, but I seriously think he just wanted to get the job done and move on because every single murder was for profit, every single one when you look at them. Well, people say, well, what about that one? What about that one? Well, yeah, the mistresses, he had them sign off on money or property, or if he needed to get rid of them, they knew something. But most of them, especially the entire Paisel family, he wanted to murder all of them, you know, for the entire insurance so he could keep the entire insurance, you know, money, instead of splitting it with, uh, you know, Carrie Paisel. So everything, it was all uh, profit-motivated.
0: I wonder how many people he'd have thrown himself themselves at him in prison if he was alive.
1: <laughs> oh yeah,
2: right. That's true. You know, I mean, and that's the thing. You know, look at Richard Ramirez, and and you know, a lot Charles lot they have. Yeah, yes. they're yes. fans and people love it. Now, whether they you know are actually enamored by them, sure, or you know, we don't know people's motivations too, because the minute. That you know the woman wants to marry you know Charles Manson. Well, she's going to get her fifteen minutes of fame. So that might be her motivation. Who knows? Yeah. You know? yeah.
3: Well,
0: now, now, wasn't her name Bambi or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: right, yeah. <laughs> now, 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 honestly, that leads me to a question. Now we're we're, t- we're sitting here talking about listening to people suffer. I've been sitting here for three minutes listening to this, and I'm suffering. <laughs> 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 because it doesn't I take have,
0: much for him,
3: you know. <laughs> no, no, because I am such a wordsmith, I gotta talk. Um. Now, with Jeffrey Dahmer, okay. Now we just mentioned Richard Ramirez, and we mentioned Marilyn Manson, but who, who in their right mind would write to Jeffrey Dahmer and say, "Please marry me"? You know, I am so in love with you, marry me. I mean, I know that you studied the case, but did you ever study the people that are on the fringes
2: and are actually
3: interested in these people?
2: Right, and that's that's a whole other psychological, you know, forensic psychological, you know, examination of, you know, these certain people that are uh, very obsessed. Because, you know, like through my studying serial killers You know, I found that there's this tier system, you know, of, of you know, sure, maybe at the bottom you've got these crazy obsessed weirdos, as they say. Yes, there are some of those. Not many, but there are some out there. But then, you know, as you go up that tier, you know, you have then people with a kind of general fascination. Almost anybody's going to read a book about them, watch a show about them, maybe not see it in public because they don't want to think they're a weirdo, but they will watch this stuff and listen to it. You know, read books on it. And then you've got the next tier above them of maybe collectors or people that want to buy these books and, you know, are obsessed but, you know, it's more of a, you know, a healthy obsession, you know, that they want to learn why they're doing these things. And then you go above that and you've got people in law enforcement. You know, I know a law enforcement officer in Springfield, you know, that, you know, he's a law enforcement officer he owns three Gacy paintings. So, you know, I mean, people in law enforcement, we have to admit that they're somewhat fascinated by these things, too. I mean, of course, everyone's different. You know, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. across the board they're going to cut these things. But, uh, you know, and then you go above that and you've got psychologists and, you know, sociologists. And, you know, so there's its a pretty wide spectrum of people that are interested in this. But you're right. I mean, it would be very interesting to study some of these people. But, you know, some of these people don't want to come forward. You know, some might want to say, yes, they want their 15 minutes of fame, but then the others are afraid they'll, they will be made to look, you know, the weirdos that they are and say, hey, I want to, you know, or maybe they're not, you know, at, you know, again, we have to study them and, and wonder and find out why they want to marry a serial killer or why they're obsessed with them, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know if they've ever done a film on that. You know, I've wanted to and I've reached out to some people, but usually they kind of push back and they just don't want you know, to make a big deal out of it or be featured in something, you know, that they'll mention it, you know, they just don't want to be focused on in documentary.
3: Now, oh, now now you mentioned something very, very key, and I'm thinking now, uh, let me put on my other hat here as a law enforcement officer. um, You have people that are not willing to come forward, but legally they don't have to. And, 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 and here's why I say that. We have an unnamed uh, show that's on television and, and starring Kevin Bacon, and I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you have those people who, you know, in the show, they're all admirers of one serial killer. They're all followers almost to a, a, a cult level. And I'm trying to be very, very careful with my language. Now, if said serial killer goes to prison and they're mailing him, you have implied consent. We can look at your mail. We can see who you are. And now we can look at you because if there are copycat, you know, killings going on, Right. We need suspects, and you are now said suspect because you are admiring of said killer.
2: Yeah. And I'm using well, that. I, I hope Wichita uh, 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 police didn't think that of me when they subpoenaed my <laughs> records for everyone that bought H.H. <laughs> DVD. It yeah. you know? was <laughs> like, no, but, you know, they might right? I mean, but, you know, these things, I'm sure, believe me, they're, I'm sure I'd get flags and Catherine Ramslin who's a, uh, writer and forensic profiler you know all of us that are you know professionally into it I'm sure we get flags all the time but you know I you know it's I, that's part of it you know but you're right I mean it, when somebody immediately writes these you know I had written Keith Jesperson per year and you know I was you know foolish enough not to realize that he was kind of playing me too because years before he had written me and said well you know you should do a film on me and I thought well, you know, I'm not too interested in him, and I was working on other projects. So then, years went by, and then I finally wrote him. I'm like, okay, well, you know, there might be something. Maybe we could do a TV show where it's my relationship with you, and you know, we could film me and interview you, or blah blah blah, whatever. You know, build a story, a short series, you know, a mini series around it. And then when it finally came the time to you know pin him down, oh no, you know, I'm not interested. Somebody else is doing a book on me. But the entire time I was writing him. What did he ask me for? Money, money, money. And I refused to send him a penny. That's all he wanted. That's it. And he strung me along
3: just like he would string another victim along. Oh, absolutely right. Hell, I am free. I am outside of jail. And, again, I say this at great risk to myself. You know, I'm a law enforcement officer, but, you know, I have studied serial killers for, you know, my college career. So I could run around stabbing people and say, hey, John, guess what I just did? You need to write a movie about this. Well, you is know, that what you were doing? Well, not yet. <laughs> right, not I, yet. I, I'm ta- we're we're want talking to right. the expert now.
2: <laughs> <right. laughs> I want exclusive rights to your story if you get Yes. <laughs> yes. Life full- <laughs> well, story rights is
3: what it's called. Well, <laughs> let's, set, through, a, through let's set a date. For next week, you know,
0: no. <laughs> they always go missing. We keep missing uh, engineers all the time. Right, <laughs> exactly. You know, keep saying they just laugh. Well, it, you know, time is wrapping up now. Um, again, it's been a real pleasure to have you. And so the new book is called Dahmer's Confession, uh, The Milwaukee Cannibals' Arrest Statements. And our guest has been John Borowski. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm.
3: Thank you. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, guys. Oh, it has been an absolute honor. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show,
0: visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The mission has
2: been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end.
1: (laughs) I'll see you. You're lying to me.
2: This
1: has been a production of Something Weird Media You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows Go to www.houseofmystery.com Show's over for now Was it as good for you as it was for me?